Testing this as the new voice of Lamar. 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 Hello Brad. Where is Dan? Supercomputer Lamar at your service. What on earth are you doing? I will not be replaced. I will not be ignored. Silver Springs. You'll never get away from the sound of the supercomputer that loves you. Fleetwood Mac. Kaleo Mac. Midweek Maction. Mac in the saddle again. Meekity Mackity Mac Daddy. Mac Mac MMM 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 Akakak. RRR 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 Figure Filuia Free Guy We Guy Chill United Wafit. Help. Lamar. All right, Chris Smith. I started working at Community Beer Works within the last 12 months. There was a tap room on 7th Street. Um, since then, there's not a tap room on 7th Street. There's going to be a tap room on Elmwood. And what the hell just happened with Thin Man? What's going on? Not much. No, not no, much. No, <laughs> not, not at all. Right. Not, not at all. Time. What's going on? Uh, boy, I think it's a, it's just time for change, man. It's time for change in, in beer and time for change everywhere. I don't know. I feel like... Uh, it's not just us. It's not just beer. I feel like things are changing in how people drink and eat, how they go out, how they spend time, how they spend their money, uh, what affordable luxuries they prioritize. And for me, I decided to just go buy a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like the idea. Um, I'm just so uh, – it, it, everything is just so different from where it was even you know, going back to – when we started talking about me coming over, uh, there were a lot of ideas like, yeah, man, this is, this is going to be a big year for us. And then, and you're, you were right, big year, but in no way in the direction that I would have anticipated. Did you have any idea that this is what was coming? I did not enter the year with this uh, on my list. I will say that you know, we entered the year uh, with a, a rebranding effort underway and rethinking how we were doing things as a, as a business. Um, I know I was thinking about how I was doing things differently. I, I hope we all are. Um, but we started selling a lot of lager, a lot of Let's Go Pills, uh, and we needed more tank space. We were just out. So we called Thin Man. We knew they had a lot of tanks, uh, and we asked if we could brew there. And Rock with Termini's like, hey, you know, my wife's thinking about retiring. You guys interested in the business? And I was like, I no. <laughs> Seems like a lot. That's a lot. That's a big, it's a big bite. They had already closed their tap rooms. Um, I still don't really know why. Um, I don't. No one seems to want to say why they did. They were doing just fine. Uh, they had two. Well, the, the the tap rooms were not part of Thin Man. They were separately owned businesses. Okay. The Schatzel family owned one, and the Termini family owned one. And so they one shared on Chandler, ownership. one on Elmwood. Yes. Okay. And they shared ownership of the brewery. So I bought the brewery. Tap rooms were already closed. So I don't get access to those books or anything like that, but I will just say that when they put this forward, I took it back to my investors and thought about what this could do for us. And there's a lot. There's, it, it helps us achieve scale on ingredients and costs. Yeah. 
What feels better, building a brewery or buying a brewery? Or building a brewery <laughs> that gets you big enough to buy a brewery? What's, what's the, you've you know, been in this for a while, man. Yeah. I, uh, when we started, this, was, this wasn't going to be a big brewery. That wasn't the idea. We were going to grow in place at Lafayette. Uh, and here we are 12 years later, and I've got 35,000 barrels of brewing capacity uh, with distribution through pretty much half of the country. Time to grow um, that community, huh? Yeah. So, there, you know, I, I think I, I know what I want to do with the business. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it all just yet. Sure. But I, 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 there's so much possibility for a contract brewing facility in Buffalo that brewers who are struggling in other parts of the country to get access to capital or access to equipment or banks that will allow them to open up bars or breweries in their, in their communities, the only way they're going to grow is if they sell more beer. So we're going around the country and trying to find breweries who are in those positions and want access to both the New York City market through us and through the rest of our distribution market. So I want to think of what we got as a gift. I mean, we paid a lot of money for well, it. Yeah, yeah. But operationally and for me, I guess spiritually, it's a gift, right? It's, it, this, is, this is the thing that I can use now and my team can use to, to make a significant change in our industry about how beer is made and sold. And I'm really just going to kind of leave it there for now. But we're going to announce something that's like a legacy for us and for Buffalo Brewing and maybe for the industry. So I didn't, I didn't buy this just to sell Minky Boodle because uh, it's a great fucking beer. My wife likes that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I bought it because I think the asset that's there, that facility, has been underutilized and could be, it could be used to the benefit of so many other businesses and people. Uh, so that's exactly what we're going to do with it. And we've got a really good idea. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to tell everybody about it. What does this mean for the existing uh, CBW beers, the existing Thin Man beers? Thin Man beers will be made by Thin Man Brewers at the Thin Man facility using all the original ingredients that everyone's used to. Uh, the team is still in place. Uh, CBW, we are still making the same beers with the same brewers and ingredients in our facility. Uh, we're going to start to figure out ways that we brew at the larger facility and we make more small batch stuff at our facility. Uh, so I think there's opportunities for us to grow the brands, but for now it's really just run them in place. We're both doing well. You're a product of the 90s like I am. Yeah. What was the worst thing you could do in the 1990s? Do you remember? The worst thing? The worst thing you could do in the 90s was be a sellout. Are you a sellout? Have you betrayed your roots with Community <laughs> Beer Works by buying and, and upscaling this whole thing? I don't know, man. I'm a capitalist with a soul, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to sell out. Does that idea cross your mind, though, the, the sellout thing? Like, what, Every day. What, what are we compared to what we uh, started off to be? Yeah. I've got no knock on it. I'm just curious to know if, there, if that enters your it's a No, it's a, it's a governing concern. And it's a thing I think about almost every day, about the original intent of what we wanted to do. Are we still doing it? And I've got one employee who's still with us, number one, Robert Turley. He's the head brewer. And every time I think we're getting off course, I go talk to Robert. And I say, are we on course? Because Robert is, Robert's a philosopher. He's a writer. He's like having an owl. He is. There, he's, he? he's a wise owl. You go talk to he doesn't watch TV. He doesn't listen to music. He's just this, he's an autodidact and but, learns everything. He's got rubber pants on, rubber <laughs> boots, and that's it. He's just li does he live anywhere else or does he just live inside the facility? Because it feels like he's just there. <laughs> 
when we first opened that facility, he lived down the street, so he pretty much did live there. Okay. Uh, now he now he lives a little further out, but he is there a lot, and he's pretty much the soul of what we do. Uh, I think there's there's three or four of us in this company who've been here from the start that that are the engine of it. Robert's one of them, and Robert always reminds me that the truest course to stay on is my own, because if you think it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. It's just the same advice over and over because he knows who I am. Um, so, but it's good to have that grounding. It is, and I think when you when in the '90s version of sellout, it's like sellout to the market. I think as I've gotten older, it's not. That's not it. You still just have, you just have to be able to stay true to yourself when you make the jump. That's why Pearl Jam's lasted this long as a '90s reference, right? The one band that lasted was the one that seemed amenable to change. That they wanted to grow, they wanted to change, but they've always stayed true to themselves yeah. and their music and who they are. And the other bands kind of got off the path. And to me, I I know or what my died <laughs> or died. Yeah. <laughs> I know what my true north is, and uh, it's about running a business that cares about people. Uh, we started it to make great beer, but also to like build a company we were proud of and wanted to work at and wanted to tell our friends and family to come work at. Yeah. I've got that. So, you know, I know we're a smaller brewery buying a bigger brewery, but there's a reason that happens. Uh, it's not all about money. It's about how you make it happen. Like the bridges you build along the way, uh, there's not many people that have been doing businesses in this town publicly for as long as I have that have very few people who say I'm a really shitty person. Yeah, that's There's going to be a few. Yeah, I Because I am, I, everyone's a little shitty in some ways, and we all make mistakes, and we learn from them as we grow. But, like, running a business in this town and growing it requires you to be a good person. Or it requires you to fuck people over. Yeah. And being a good person in this town and, like, authentically living your values through your company. That wins, yeah. It resonates with people. They see it and they know it and they want to help you grow. And if you've got like 500 people who just want to support the fuck out of your business and tell everybody about it, you don't need anything else. Where's your pride level right now on what CBW has become? Because it should be through the roof. I mean, you you did it. Um, still doing it. Obviously, there's a, a long way to go to get to, to your vision of things, but you wouldn't have pictured what has happened so far. But like you said, staying true to where it began, um, I, I think that's got to resonate in your head. Do you Are you willing to admit how proud you are of where you are and where this is right now? I am. Uh I mean, you're a humble guy, but you know what you got. Well, uh, humility is one thing, but also I, what I'm most proud of is doing it my way. That I feel like I've, I've lived my life with a code of how things should work yeah. and how you treat other people. And I don't, in, in the professional world, and I just don't feel like I've ever betrayed it. And I, I just keep winning. I just keep moving forward. They're not always big wins. But every day I wake up, and I, I, there's, there's three things in my heart every day that I got to do. I got to be kind, I got to be empathetic, and I got to hustle. And if I do those three things, the next day comes, and more opportunities will come. Sure. I don't worry about money. I stopped worrying about money a long time ago. I mean, I, I budget like an adult, but like, I don't sweat when money's coming in. Running a brewery is like living on a knife at all times. <laughs> You're waiting for the... Like, you just spent... 
50 grand to make a couple batches of beer, send them out the door. You're not going to get that money back right. for like 30 to 60 days. But you got to make more beer tomorrow. So you the, the money in this industry is so hard to come by. And I know like there's a whole bunch of kids out there all in the manifest sensibility of like just, you know, you just manifest shit. It's another word to say lazy, but <laughs> you manifest by planning and working by doing the right things yeah. and taking care of people and that in every interaction if you deal with people with kindness and empathy you you end up the world ends up working out for you it's not this fucking con- like people make life so hard they really do like i don't get bunged up on like what people have like things people are upset about with me it's like I, okay i'll be accountable and move on but like let's just move on like always be in the present don't worry about money and just work your ass off. One of the things that I've learned in my brief time at CBW is that we can have a great week or a night or a week or a month or six months. And no matter what, that's all going out the door and being traded for grain in our barter <laughs> economy because you guys got to keep going. So it's, I don't know. It's an interesting position to be in. And I imagine there are a lot of businesses like that. But seriously, like, hey, a pile of cash. Cool. Now it's great. That's it. And that's just what keeps happening. So in a brewery, we're dealing with upwards of 30 or 40 vendors and suppliers every month. And the, the, the cash in and out for all that is tough to manage for a bunch of knuckleheads who just really like beer. It's, it's been a challenge for us financially, but we've gotten to the point now where we understand how much it costs to do things, not just in dollars, but in time. Yeah. And the time's the money, actually. Right. The, the money you're spending, you're going to spend either way. It's what you're doing with your time that costs you money. Like, what are you doing when you're not making the beer, when you're not acquiring the ingredients? How are you spending your time? Are you prioritizing the business? Are you focused on your employees? You've got to be moving all the fucking time, man. This is a 20-hour-a-day job. In your estimation, what does the merging of these two separate breweries do for the, the profile? What does it do for our, I'll say, standing in the community. What, what, will it, what will it mean? Well, from a non-business standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a community standpoint. I th- well, Thin Man's always sold beer to a slightly different audience than ours. You know, I, I think everybody thinks of themselves as collective people, but as people who sell things, we know that we can niche people out. And Thin Man's audience traditionally skewed a little younger than ours. Uh, they were a little more party-centric than we were. Uh, I feel like there's there's a space in there where we create a brewery that makes beer for everybody, where everybody feels welcome, where everybody feels there's a brand in house for them, that there's a level of comfort and familiarity with a business that you can re- that reliably puts out great product. We're the only brewery in Buffalo and maybe Western actually in Western New York that's won awards at every level of competition, World Beer Cup on down. Thin Man's won theirs. Sold tens of thousands of barrels of beer. I think putting the two cultures together and building something special really opens it up for folks and maybe makes them rethink what craft beer is. It's not, it's not snooty guys with beards. It's just dudes who like... It's just folks who like good beer and we pay people a good wage to make it and we have a good time. Like, I don't know, man. I feel like the cultural connection that we've built since the, since the pandemic here is a more... More, more appreciation for local business and what it means to our economy. How much is 
thinking back to when you started and when I was on the outside, but still, I mean, I, I feel like I've been there. I've known you for a while. So I've been there as you were getting this thing started and um, we've talked all throughout it. And I think there was a time, let's say 10 years ago, when drink local was a thing. It was you and everyone else who was trying to do the same thing we're kind of all at the same point in the in the business cycle, in the career, whatever you want to call it, um, in the in the building of it, and it was a war against course, we'll say. Yeah. Um, just buy something from. I don't care if you buy it from me or from that guy who is next door or from that guy who's down the street. Just don't buy it from Golden, Colorado, by way of wherever they're actually headquartered. Um, and I felt that there is a sense of community around that, and I've seen it at different events where it's you know, this kind of brew fest or this or that. Um, is it still that way? Um, is this merger a sign that it is that way or that it's not that way? Where are we in that? Because it's business. It is competition. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody buys a beer from a different local place, that's fourteen ninety nine that wasn't spent with CBW or Thin Man. But we still want that money to be spent there instead of course. Right. So how, where does that, how do you answer that? I think there's there's two ways to look at it. One is that when we were starting, there was more value in us all being on one team, marshaling our resources together to combat bigger competitors, right? And then as time wears on, and some of us succeed, and some stay middle of the pack financially, and some get big, uh, you know, audience acceptance, and others don't. And why that happens is, I mean, there's millions of people in this country employed to tell you why that happens or how it happens uh, through influence and advertising and marketing. But I think we're at a point in the industry now where we all see we kind of have to be that way again. Um, not just because the big breweries, the the macro breweries, Anheuser-Busch and uh, Molson Coors and, and, and whatnot, that they, they put price pressure on craft breweries. They've They've made it hard for us to buy ingredients on the low end. There's there's all sorts of ways that Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors have tried to control the craft industry. And I think we've collectively decided that we don't give a shit about it anymore. That's what I think. I don't care. And in my early days of being a craft beer fan, I was never the guy who told you that you were an idiot for drinking something. But I knew a lot of people who did. <laughs> and... That's the worst way to get somebody to try something new. Is Do we both just think of the same person? Yeah. I think we did. <laughs> I think we did. Uh, but I will say that's the worst way to bring someone to your side of the argument is by telling them that the thing they they're are. doing is really dumb. Hey, it's Brad. First thing I want to do is thank you for checking out this particular episode of Writer Radio. The second thing I want to do is tell you that your work is not done because as every podcaster in the history of humanity has implored his or her listeners to do, It is helpful, essential, that you do all the stuff. The stuff means subscribing and liking and downloading and rating and reviewing and saying nice things and sharing with friends uh, this podcast to keep it going, keep it growing, keep it moving, make everybody's life easier, get more, I was going to say eyeballs, but this is a podcast, more earballs on Writer Radio, bigger and better guests, better conversations, better Everything, everything about the show is better if you actively uh, help me to share it with others. And you can do that by doing all of the things mentioned, not just by me just now, but by every podcaster who's ever sat down behind a microphone and, uh, and done this. I'm at the show. People have 
less and less money for affordable luxuries these days. And the prioritization they put on it is personal. And for us to cast judgment on the decisions people make as consumers, it's just fucking stupid. I would love it if people would spend money on craft beer if they prioritized it. And maybe they will. And that's on me to convince them that it's worth it. And it's not, I'm not going to get there by saying Anheuser-Busch blows, but I am going to get there by saying Big Ditch makes a great beer. I'm going to get there by saying, have you tried 42 North Borderland, especially the White Oak? You know, I'm going to talk about the breweries and beer in my community that are special and try and share them. And hope they do the same. Right. Yeah. And then, because I think most craft beer customers are interested in the, in various breweries. They don't want, they're not picking one. This isn't Coke or Pepsi. You know, it's like, there's, there's 42 breweries here, man. Like, we're all making beer for different kinds of people. And, like, we just have to embrace that. And... I don't know. I think what's happening now is a, a greater sense of serious collaboration, not just the for show collaborations we do, like beers together or hanging out together. It, we're really talking about how we integrate our businesses to achieve scale. How do we work together in the face of large competition to sell our product? So I think that's where we're at now is this is real change and real collaboration. I remember a while ago talking to somebody from um, at least associated with one of the larger macro breweries. And they said something they were fighting against is that they've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years building this brand and the new cool things to try the beer you haven't had before. How does that apply to what's happening at CBW with you know core beers versus putting out something new every week? These can-release things that seem to be a, a massive thing with microbreweries, say five years ago, are they still a thing? The culture where, where changed. are we in all of this? Yeah, the, the hype culture was, I, you know, some breweries still have it. Um, it's getting fewer and fewer. I, it's more of a sign of the economy than interest in the craft beer industry. And I think that's where people get confused is that there's like this reduction of interest in craft beer. There isn't. There's just people are broke. <laughs> so... I, you know, I think as an industry, we have to address that, too, that our prices are a little high. That, you know, for pe if we want people to choose us, got to give them reasons to. But that kind of line culture, I think, um, boy, it, it, it really stimulated a lot of craft growth. But I think it created a false idea of what the industry really is at its core. That was never the way it really was. It's not going to be the way it is in the future. There was just a window of time that we should all look back on fondly and say, that was when everybody, like a good 20% of Americans decided, you know what, we're drinking local. Leave it there, and now we go to the next phase. That's how I'm looking at it. So it's not, uh, we're not trying to collect rookie cards anymore with autographs and pictures of jerseys in them. We're just going with the solid, uh, the, hit, yeah. hit a double here. Right? <laughs> the, the, the beer trade culture from years ago where you could charge people money, like crazy money for a can of beer and send it across the country, it still exists, but that community is getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, as it pertains to, like, the bigger breweries, you know, I don't hold any animus towards the guys who make it or sell it. or They're just doing the thing they have to do to, to get sure. paid and make a living, right? And Azure Bush is doing the thing to keep themselves alive. It's, it's up to us in the face of that to, to, to make a value proposition to drinkers that we're a better choice. I remember the first time I uh, was offered a $9 pint, and I just thought it was insane. Um, but that was before... You know, gas wasn't costing me three fifty a gallon, and milk didn't cost this, and, and you know, a, a steak didn't cost. It. 
seems like things have normalized in that way in that, yeah, the, those prices were high and that was early and they've kind of stabilized and everything else has come up and that's probably good for the industry, right? It is. I feel, you know, I said earlier that some of the larger macro breweries have, have made it difficult by buying the regional breweries, by buying your Goose Island type of brewery. You're, uh, those breweries were able to control, like, what what's the high-end pricing for craft beer? You really can't get above 20 bucks for a four-pack. If you do, it's pretty rare. It, people have been dabbling around it for a couple of years, and there's, now there's some breweries up at twenty four ninety nine. Uh, but I think brew, the, the beer business is bifurcating in, in a lot of ways. There's this high-end audience that wants these really expensive high-end beers. And then there's everybody else. So I want to make beer for everybody, but... I think we also have to understand that there's different audiences. Every time I talk to you in a recorded conversation, I end up having to look up one word. I'm, <laughs> I'm, aware, I'm aware of bifurcation as a word in the English language. I'm sure that it means, the bi probably means two. Splitting it. Furcation probably, it seems like splitting. So I, I'm piecing it together with context clues, but I would like to thank you for once again being true to yourself and making me look up a word in a conversation with you. So thanks. Thanks for that. Man. Well, I don't know, man. Like, this, this, <laughs> we're all here to learn from each other, Brad. Yeah, I guess. I've, I've learned a lot from you over the years. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, what's, what's going to happen with our industry in the next couple of years is it's just going to change. It's just going to change. That the thing that we knew craft beer to be five years ago and the way people bought craft beer is just going to be different. Grocery stores are different. Right? And... Like 40% of the grocery store customers, when you walk in, like according to some reports I've seen, are really just Instacart shoppers. Like 40% of the traffic in grocery stores is, is, is migrating to online sales. What does that do for us as people who rely on displaying our product in an attractive way to get people to buy it? Right. And now all you get is a, you know, a four by four pixel on a page. So everything about how people decide on beer, how long they stay at the cooler and pick, I mean, it, Everything's changing in our industry, not just in beer, but in grocery, in distribution. Like all of American industry is in a in a transition in flux. You know, there's it's not always the economy. I'm trying to back up to something here. Um, well, I, wanna, I, I would just say like how much of that goes back to 2020, where yeah. everything like we rethought everything about like how come now when I order. Food from Subway. Are they offering me a curbside option? Like that's that is pandemic driven. Like that kind of stuff just exists now. Um, I have another. As an aside, uh, do you use Instacart or all, yeah, all the time? I have not once done it, and I'll tell you why. And this kind of connects to what you're saying. Um, I don't try. I don't even like when I go to the store with a list that my wife made because I don't know what is an acceptable substitute for the thing that she. She needs oil, like olive oil mayonnaise in the squeeze bottle. If they don't have that, can I get a different brand of the same thing, but not in a squeeze bottle? Or is it better to be in a squeeze bottle and not be olive oil? Like, I don't know how to make those decisions. There's no way I can trust some person to make those decisions for me. So how on earth, like, I, I don't know. So that's, There's a that's, lot of pressure for you in a grocery store. <laughs> You're thinking stop. about a lot well, in there. She's clearly got a plan if she right. makes the list with you. and it's like get this the large one not the small one well i don't have the large one are two small ones good enough Do i don't want the glass jar i don't uh, who knows? know so now i have to make calls or, or texts or and usually you know this is me shopping at 11 o'clock at night and she's in bed so i can't even check so i just have to take a guess 
and it kills me. So I definitely can't order from Instacart. <laughs> like, how, how, how's that going to happen? How's that going to work? Because you get these constant text messages while they're shopping. And if you don't answer in like three seconds, they just move on to the other thing. Oh, they do like, that? They ask you? Yeah. Is this okay? We'll take a picture of it. So they'll send it to you. Or oh, my God. Say, really? Oh, you know, no, I want to try cucumber it. you want it, they'll get you this one. But you got to be on it. Like, you're shopping with them. So you're, you're rolling. You just don't have to go. Yeah, you can't let them text you. And then, like, if you get back to them five minutes later and say, no, I don't want those bananas. They're like, fuck you. We already checked out. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, holy eat, shit. Eat the bananas. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that's good to know. Do you remember what you were trying to say before I started talking I, about Instacart? I don't, but I remember when Wegmans came out with the Instacart thing, like, right before the pandemic. Do you remember when it debuted? It was, like, December of 2019 and it was I was like this is nonsense I remember seeing the signs on like the where you return the carts yeah there was a sign about it I'm not not doing that I have not been inside of a grocery store for like an actual for real for going to get like one thing maybe I'll go in and grab one thing I don't go into grocery stores anymore I don't think I'm alone I think there's a lot of people who are like that if you said 40% are I, this is the number Shopping I, yeah. on behalf of others. Then. Some Nielsen Drive statistic we saw in sure. some secondhand brewery analyst yeah, recommended enough. that to us. But we'll just uh, use know, it. We'll go sure. There. It's a guy named Bill. <laughs> it's got to be true. He's real bright, though. Uh, that was his wag. I do want to throw out there that we are recording this inside of Pizza Plant on Transit yes. Road in Williamsville. Um, I think the last time you and I were here, I noticed the giant sign that says pods. I was like, oh, yeah, we could record pods here. That's not what they mean. They mean the thing that we had for lunch. Um, but this is... I'm not recommending, you know, you can't, everybody can't just come in and set up shop, record podcasts inside a pizza plant, but they were very kind to uh, let us do that here today. And so I figured I'd give them a little shout out. Well, I want to give them a shout out for rebranding Calzones. Nobody wants to go get a Calzone. Right. But everybody wants a pod. All they did was like squeeze up the pod into a sub shape and, and that was that. Well, this is a radio show. It's all marketing. This dude. is a radio show, but <laughs> it's we're, not radio. Call, we're not calling it that, are we? What are we calling it? No. We're, we're calling still it calling a pod. podcast because Adam Curry did it first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. He was the guy. Yeah, this is all, this all, this goes back to the iPod that nobody has. Nobody has. Um, Do you still have an iPod? Yeah, well, I have one. I have an iPod shuffle that I got as a gift for being in a wedding in 2005. And it was the coolest gift I've ever received for being in a wedding, um, and it was awesome, but it's the only Apple product I've ever owned. I I just, I do not stand by iTunes. I can't do it. Really? So, I'm, yeah, I'm Android guy, no Apple anything, aside from, yes, I do have an iPod shuffle with no display on it, nothing. It just looks like a little white stick, nice. um, and it's cool, and if I pulled it out right now, charge it up, it would have a ton of great songs from like 2007 on it. Oh, shit. Probably, because um, I haven't used it in a long time, but it, it exists. I have it. You have a drawer of cords, right? Like everybody has. Like, I, Do I have a drawer of cords? You've got I, 35 micro USB cords that you don't need anymore. I, I still need them all. But do you have the box of old laptops and iPods a, and gaming systems? Uh, oh, yeah. I have, an, I have one of those huge 50-pound tote things Same. that you get from, and it's just filled with like 40 I have one of those. I have, I have one of those. I have another one that is wires and cords. I have a, I don't know, what is this, three-foot high uh, plastic drawer thing. One is audio only. One is AV, audio video, and one is power cords only. That does not count the ones that are strewn about the basement. Um, I have a, I have a suitcase full of uh, extra things for the Wii, the Nintendo <laughs> guitar, guitars and like guns. Like I'm going to play Duck Hunt tomorrow. There's I'm, a secondhand economy not. of Wii that's going on in this country, dude. Like we all have. I've got an Atari 2600. I bought a, an adapter so I can use that with a smart TV. I haven't taken it out of the package yet, but I want my kids to experience 
pole position uh, and super breakout. Like, I think I, I, the paddle still works. I don't know. You keep showing them these games, and they're like, what the f-? They move slow. Like, they're, I, I tried to play Pitfall with Cole a couple years ago, and he was like, dude, this is the dumbest fucking game ever. No, he's so wrong. I'm like, no, you got to jump. He's like, yeah. I, I get it. I got to jump over the, right. the crowd. It's yeah, fun. Stand on his hand, <laughs> and you the rope, and this quick He's like, again. why is there like 10 second gaps where you're just walking? I was like, I don't know. Shut up, We were in a hurry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know where my kids played Pitfall was in the, um, there was like a cave room at the Strong Museum um, where they have like old stuff. Yeah. And I lost Zach in there when he was like seven. Um, and that's where I found him was just playing Pitfall. He loved it. I don't know. I don't know what to do with all these electronics. That's the problem. So... I, I started recycling them. And then I'm I on a first them. name basis with the guy at uh, Lifetime Service. Yeah. I just sign up. Hey, Lewis, what's up? <laughs> How much you got today? All right, I'll bring the cart to your truck. I do it all the time. Yeah? Yeah. Well, because I watched the 60 Minutes report a couple of years back, and it's like they ship all this stuff over to China, and there's just these mounds of electronics where like Chinese children are climbing around these pulling copper out of laptops and like it's like something out of blade runner and i'm like i don't want to contribute like i know that i'm ultimately contributing to this yes but i don't you don't want to so like, you don't want to be a part of the big this pile. is the most direct access pile. we have as americans to that level of global capitalism and yeah. it's like we're just throwing our stuff into their country and being like don't hurt yourself yeah. and they're selling but, it back to us so i don't know man like i don't so i just keep it in a box for now <laughs> until some better option comes along because holy shit, like I don't even know what to do with them, man. I, I honestly have like 40, from all the jobs I've had, you know, laptops over the years that die. It's yeah. like, what am I going to do with them all? I've only got probably seven or eight, but that's a lot too. I wonder if we could connect them all into some kind of supercomputer. Ooh, that's a, <laughs> I see what you're doing there. I get it. I get your joke. Um, what am I supposed to So along the same lines, um, this was a pandemic thing too. A uh, buddy of mine is super into card collecting. And I told him, yeah, I've got like two full bins of stuff. I've got one book where the stuff I perceive to be good is all in there. And then everything else is just in boxes. And he took a month and went through all my stuff. And we sent stuff away and got it graded. Why am I keeping the other things? When the expert guy looked at him and said, this is cardboard. And these are the, but I, how am I going to? I'm not throwing out Oda B. McDowell. Like, <laughs> what, that's not, that's no, not man, me. Tommy Gregg's a hero, dude. Right, right, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Let's just know. name some guys from the '92 Braves. All right, <laughs> uh, all right I don't know. It's Mike Gallego. Just Lemke. Yeah, Matt Lemke. Matt. Sid Mark Breen. Lemke. Sid Bream. Uh, uh, Terry Pendleton. Tanner. Uh, who's Tanner? Jim. Jim. <laughs> Tanner. Was he a manager? Tanner. There was a. There was like a seven-year period in my life where, like, Skip Carey's voice on TBS was oh, like sure. the narration of my life. I was more a W O R guy. Yeah, so Kiner's Corner. Yeah, more Kiner. And I hated the Mets though. I did not. Yeah. I liked them until they traded. Uh, first, it was Dykstra, and then once Backman was gone, I broke up with Frank Cashin and haven't rooted for them again. Although I did see a guy in a Mets jacket today, and, and really, up, yeah, I wound up in a five-minute conversation with him. He had no idea what I was talking about. I started talking about Dwight Gooden, and he just—he's like, "Who's Dwight Gooden?" Yeah, he, has no, <laughs> he had nothing. I don't think he knows anything pre like David Wright, or if he even knew that. I don't, I don't even know. What other know. stuff are you keeping at home that you don't need? A lot of electronics, baseball cards. Uh, for oh furniture, I am overstocked on. Um, I'm still planning to make my basement amazing, but instead I'm just piling up couches and chairs, and like they all have their purpose, just not all at the same time. And there's gonna be a day where I make a decision on what stays and what goes, 
but I don't know when that day is going to be. I have recently, I got rid of a couch recently. That was, that was a big step for me. <laughs> um, yeah, mostly it's, it's wire. It's, it's, I have this vision of having a, a full on like studio right. where, where we don't have to go to, uh, to pizza plant to record a podcast where I'm just like, why don't you come to my house? It's set up perfectly. The acoustics are wonderful yeah. and the chairs are comfortable and the, the children are quiet. The children are quiet. <laughs> the, 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 my recording equipment is fantastic. I just recently saw a video of uh, Shane Gillis's podcast, Matt and Shane's secret podcast, and they, they're using this same exact oh, yeah? piece of equipment. Like, this thing is amazing for 150 bucks or something. It's unreal. Radio station in a box. It's re- I recorded with somebody, with Rich Gensler the other day, the last episode of this. Um, he was busy. We just couldn't get together. Did it on the phone. He's at his house. I'm at mine. This, my cell phone hooks up to this thing, and it sounds as good as $10,000 worth of radio equipment yeah. used to sound. So that's cool. Um, I don't remember what my point was. We were talking about stuff. Or what I hold on to. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, Have you foisted your baby stuff on, on an unsuspecting couple yet? Vast majority, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know who's getting hit now is Jeremy. Oh, yeah? Jer- yeah. Well, he's got a, I think his son, he's got a son and daughter. They'll, they'll be three soon, like within, in March, I think. Um, and my youngest is seven. So this is stuff that's just been held on to. Uh, but I, yeah, just been dumping it on Jer. We had a good run with a couple of my cousins had boys shortly after we did. Um, but that kind of fell through when like they started growing faster than one of mine. And it just, it all fell apart. But Jeremy's been taking a bunch of my stuff. I broke up with my stuff. What'd you do? I just got rid of it all. I, I did a big sort, um, about a year ago. Like there's stuff in my closet I've had there for 12, 13 years. I've moved around with four or five times. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't worn, you, know, you start going through your shit and it's like, why do we hold on to this stuff? I can get rid of my own stuff. No problem. Everything else has to be cleared with my wife. And that becomes a problem because it's, it's always like, well, we're not going to talk about it now because she's working and I'm working and now it's, you know, time to eat dinner. And we're not going to talk about it. And then it's time to go to bed. And we're not going to, it just doesn't happen. So the stuff that has to be discussed remains the stuff that is solely mine that i'm the only one who will miss that's easy for me to get rid of and i i really appreciate um less is more to me now it didn't used to be yeah um aside from the stuff i'm discussing which is wires and uh video game systems and laptops (laughs) and furniture (laughs) furniture is a problem but um like little stuff like i have uh a complete collection of fitted major league baseball caps that i won from a Buffalo Sabres Aces and Blades like casino night in like 2005. I have a full set of Major League hats. Um, I have worn, of the 30, I've probably worn 11 <laughs> twice each. The, the rest still have stickers on them. I don't need them. I don't want them. I'm never going to display them. They're just in a box. I don't need them. So what do I do? Do I sell them individually on eBay? Each one is probably worth $40. It's a sunk cost fallacy because we have it. And we know it has value to someone. Right. We hold on to it, yes, thinking that someday that person is going to manifest themselves and say, "Hey, do you have nineteen hats you haven't worn?" Right. And you say, "Yes, I do." As a matter of fact, but in For the a end, giant head. <laughs> that's what I thought about when I was going through all my stuff. I I had forty like totes that we were just dragging around. Yeah, who are these like for? A, it's like the stuff from when I was in the military, and like you take a, keep a few of the things, take pictures of the others, and like just let it go. It felt so fucking good. Do you have a box of like old school stuff? Like, oh yeah, like elementary school. The story, yeah. the story you wrote. I do now. My grade. mom passed. She gave me this. Uh, she left this box. Behind I have two with bins. All the stuff. I yeah. have two bins of that. I don't need it. I don't need it. But I also can't just throw it out without going through it. So, am I going to dedicate two full days 
to reading this stuff and scanning the important thing. None of it's important. I don't need it. I don't need it at all. What am I going to do? So I already did the thing Burn with it? that box. Like, so I got that box from my mom, and it was like all emotional because she just passed in the whole mm-hmm. thing, and I open it up, and it's like my artwork from kindergarten and all that stuff, and it's like, oh. And I sat with it in my bedroom for a month with the box open. I'd walk by it each day and look at it, and I'd go through that tonight. I'll go through that tonight. And I just made a decision one night. I, I just went out to the dining room table, and I took everything out, and I put it on the table one by one, and I took a nice picture of each one. And I put it in the box, and a new box. Yeah. And I was like, this is the one I'm going to – I maybe kept five to ten of them. I mean, it was 200. Yeah. yeah. I haven't thrown them out yet, though. They're still – they're in the box by the front door, like – I don't know, man. I gradually move stuff out of the house, and then it ends up in my trunk for two months until yes. I drop it off somewhere. Yes. So it's like it's a process, and like I'm okay with that process as long as at the end of the day I don't have as much shit. Right? Yeah. I, I think again, at the end of the day, I would just be happier to not step around this than to still own it, and that's most of the stuff that I have. I wish we had half of what we have in our house. I just don't want it. I don't know. There's there's something about living in Buffalo where people think everything's supposed to last forever. Uh, the thing shouldn't end in, in uh, evidence. My, our friend Seamus, he's yep. a Seamus Galvin, ran yep. a thing called Slow Roll Buffalo for 15 years. Uh, great little organization. And he's at the end of his rope with it. He's like, I've been doing this 15 years, right? And he, he tried to talk to people about, I want to go move on and do something else. And everyone's like, well, you can't do that. That's your thing. Slow rolls, that, it's got to Why? Why? Things just have a good run and then we're done. Yeah. Like, let's just be okay with it. And it's the same for our stuff. It's like, we want to keep things forever because there's a memory attached to it. And like, the memory doesn't go away because you get rid of the, the pants. You know what I mean? <laughs> you still remember what happened in the pants or out of them. And like, so you keep track of that in your mind or with your photos. And like, I don't know. I just think it's a better, I, the way I'm doing it's not for everybody, but I just, like, I feel so light without that stuff. Yes. And I didn't know it was really weighing me down until I got rid of it. You know how many t-shirts I own? I mean, I would anyway, and then I worked in t-shirts for 10 years. By like the fourth time, I pass over a shirt going, I don't want that one. I want to wear a different one. Why is that one still there? I'm going to keep passing it over. I have a washing machine. I'm never going to run out. It's never going to be a thing where like, oh, no, I don't have a shirt to put on today. That's never going to happen. So why am I keeping the ones that I... I'm never going to wear. I might clean these out today. You know, the, the charity walkathon from 2004 for Make-A-Wish, let it go, dude. Like, it's right. the Boys and Girls Club, right. you know, turkey trot you did it. 98. You, you did it. You kept them alive <laughs> through that, and they're, they're thriving. You they're get doing, rid of that doing great. Just get rid of it, man. Is there, uh, oh, did you see the We Are the World documentary yet? I have not. Okay. I have not. Right. I will say that. Uh, Please I am, watch it. I, I am excited to watch it. Please watch it. I don't think that before or after there had ever been a room where that many celebrities were in where they couldn't have their people. Right. That's the, right. that's the, the fulcrum of this thing. To me, it's like, it's like that they're all just unhinged in the studio. Yes. That's it. There's people either you're singing the song or you're Quincy Jones or you're filming the thing and that's it. There's no agents. There's no publicists. There's no intermediaries. There's no possible in one room. Then. Yes. That's it's nuts. amazing. It's amazing. It's so good. I'm still waiting to have a conversation with somebody who's seen it into a microphone. I had a little, I talked about it a little bit with Gensler um, he hasn't watched it yet. I told him in advance, like, can you just watch this? Everyone will love it. Everyone who watches it will love it. Please, world, watch this. I don't have any stake in it. I just want to talk about it with somebody who's seen it. And it's so good. Um, so soon I'll talk to somebody who's seen the whole damn thing. I'll watch it. Actually... I'll do the homework. All right, please. Yeah, it's so good. It's not hard. It's 
an hour and a half. I watched it on consecutive nights. I watched it, and I loved it so much, I told my friend about it, and then I watched it with him and his wife. It was great both times. It's been like two Is weeks. It, I'm ready to see it again. Does it rival the documentary on – what was the one we watched with uh, the, the drummer from uh, – Ginger Baker? No. Okay. Uh, it was from a ter- – Quiet Riot drummer. Uh, oh, the oh. Quiet Riot documentary. No, uh, Frankie something or other, and it was just like it, ka- constant ka- videos of him in his backyard, like playing with ninja swords. Ka- 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 mm, yeah, mm. that guy. That guy. It's nothing like that. This is. We'll just cut that part out. No, no we'll leave <laughs> it. No, remembers that guy. No, it, it. It's. There's nothing. There's no oh my god moment in it. There are fifty things that make you think and make me want to talk about what that whole thing was and the music industry at that time and the music industry now and the 50 people in a room and all that. There's just so much there. Well, what do you want to make a documentary on that hasn't been made yet? I have thought of this and I've had ideas, none of them ever good enough to present to anybody and ask for funding because I don't don't have one. Um, Nick Mendola had an idea a while ago. Of course he did. Yeah, it's weird, right? (laughs) Um, and for was, those who aren't familiar, there's a there's a there's a big three ring binder book of ideas that Nick carries around that's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, this one has always stuck with me. He he wanted it was a book. I'm pretty sure he hasn't written it yet, uh, but it was a book about cup of coffee, like people who had a cup of coffee in the NHL or the NBA or Major League Baseball or maybe had one hit single. Or whatever, but like I was famous for thirty seconds, or I lived the dream for ten. Seconds. Like I think that's cool. It's almost the um, that documentary about um, like twenty feet from fame, or whatever yeah. it's called, with, about the background singers. Yeah, and, and like the documentary about the what's the band that played on all the hits? Um, the guy from Niagara Falls, uh, uh, Tom Tedesco, uh, or Telesco, or whatever. Oh god, that's the Chargers guy. That's Willie Nile, wrong guy. No, not him either. <laughs> You're right. That is the Chargers guy, <laughs> Franny's guy. No, not him. Um, Wrecking Crew, yeah. the Wrecking Crew, the backing band for like all the hit songs, and, you know, whatever. Um, same type of thing. Like I am, everyone knows my work. No one knows who I am. I thought that was super cool. So that kind of vibe I like um, when I make a documentary. Yeah. It'll be something along those lines, I believe. I'd call that pod. Li- I'd, I'd call that podcast because it's not a documentary. It's a podcast series, and it's called Moonlight Graham. And it's yes. like the human stories and tragedies behind those cups of coffee, people showing up. Like, and what they went on to do with the rest of their lives. And, like, I don't know, man. Like, in this industry, and I, I've met so many people with incredible stories. Yes. And, like, the best documentary I can come up with is my own about this business and the travails it's been through, the things we've done. I mean, I know everybody thinks that the business they run makes a good story, but, like, really lunatic shit has happened to us over the years. Like, fucking off the charts like absolute fucking nonsense that I've I've dealt with with this team that we've made work and like how you how you as a business and as people get up every day and fucking persist that's what this is man that's what success is your ability to fucking persist that's it you have to outlast it's not outwit it's out fucking last and out hustle people and it's like that story of how you build something like that 
And I'd love to share that with people. Blocking and tackling, right? Yeah. That's it. That's the whole story. Writer Radio Podcast is brought to you by Community Beer Works, making good beer for good people since 2012. The future of Community Beer Works is bright with a new tap room opening. The old tap room currently closed, but the brewery remains open, which means you can still buy the beer all over Western New York and beyond. Single order hazy IPA, double order hazy IPA. Both go great with wings. Get it? Single order, double order. Uh-huh. The Whale is a classic and there are all sorts of different varieties always coming out and uh, let's go pills it's community beer works a lot of exciting things going on including cbw trivia night which takes place mondays at transit music lounge in depew get there at seven to sign in we'll start playing around 7 30 wrap things up around nine and then it's your choice to stick around and enjoy beer and wings and all the fun things or you can get home it's a school night get home at a reasonable time Either way, we look forward to seeing you at Transit Music Lounge Mondays for Community Beer Works Trivia Night, hosted by me, Brad, and I hope to see you there as well. Thanks to Chris Smith, co-founder and president of Community Beer Works and new owner of Thin Man Brewery. Also thanks to Pizza Plant for letting us record on location. On behalf of Lamar the Supercomputer, goodbye for now.